you stand with us as we begin our morning and open in prayer? Brother Dan, can I ask you to lead us in prayer this morning? Oh. 
from the book of Genesis, chapter 26, <coughs> verses 12 through 32, that's page 38 in your pew Bible. And when you come to that, please stand with us.
came and told him about the well they had dug. They said, we have found water. Father in heaven, we prevail upon you. We beg you, O Lord, to bless this reading of your, your holy and inspired scriptures. We pray, Lord, that you strive with us this hour, that we would seek your face and your wisdom and all the words about it. In the name of Christ, we ask.
Our text this morning is Genesis 26. In our last study in the series of the patriarchs, demonstrated that like his father Abraham, Isaac experienced similar circumstances. There was a famine in the land. But what a different outcome. Abraham immigrated to Egypt to avoid the famine of his day, but Isaac stayed put in the Negev, the southern part of Palestine, where God promised to bless him and to sustain him. There was faith on the part of both these men, so one was not more faithful than the other. They were doing as God had directed. There was sin on the part of both men in that they lied about their Sisters, because they feared for their own lives, because Sarah and Rebecca were ravishingly beautiful women. And they thought, you know, the Philistines are going to kill me to obtain my rights. We learned that God protected both Abraham and Isaac in spite of their deceptions and confirmed his oath that through them all nations of the earth would. drew out a number of lessons from that study. Number one, when trials arise in life, do not assume that the grass is always greener on the other side of the hill. You remember Naomi and Elimelech that thought that uh, Bethlehem once Moab got the picture. Secondly, promises while not given directly to succeeding generations become binding at God's discretion. We are not, we're not Jewish. We're included in the promises that were made. We know that by looking at the New Testament. Thirdly, we learned that the legacy we pass on to our children can be good or evil. Like father, like son. Isaac learned from Abraham both deception and faith. And today's study focuses on some of the struggles experienced. us from our skepticism. Grant us faith 
looking this morning at the subject wealth and wells. We notice that Isaac, Abraham's son, was a successful farmer and rancher. Verse 12 states that Isaac planted crops in the same year reaped a hundredfold because the Lord blessed him. Unlike his father Abraham, Isaac decided to try his hand at farming. And farming, unlike raising livestock, tells us that Isaac had a desire to settle down. Anybody that's been When raising livestock, one must be prepared to move. At least in this day, you have to move from place to place. And that's what the case with Abraham and Lot. Because you've got to go where the grazing land is, and the grazing land doesn't stay the same. It's eaten off. So you've got to keep moving. We read of Abraham and Lot. Now Lot was moving about with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents. But the land could not support them while they stayed together. For their possessions were so great that they were not able to stay together. Genesis 13, verse 9. That's fly, of a rancher. Using a chart on bring those ten calves to maturity, that's about 1,200 pounds each, we need 20 acres of forage for 365 days of service for four years. 20 acres of forage. A ranch with a thousand head of cattle needs 20,000 acres to graze. Say, that would work out some cost. No. to the King Ranch in Texas, for example, that has 825,000 acres. One ranch. 825,000. Briscoe Ranch, 640,000. And then he leases another 100,000. Because he didn't have enough on his own land. Now, Joe had livestock, and while it doesn't mention cattle, his livestock stood at 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 1,000 oxen, 1,000 donkeys, Job 1, verse 3. So even though we do not know the number count of Isaac's livestock, we are told in verse 14, he had so many flocks and herds and servants that the Philistines didn't do anything other than be a successful ranger. In the end. This livestock holding plus his farmland, which yielded 100 fold in crops, 
concludes of Isaac in verse 13, the man became rich, and his wealth continued to grow, and he became very wealthy. You know, every once in a while, the enemy bug bites me. And I think, boy, I would, love, I would just love to have a piece of that pie. But then I realize that wealth has its own set of I am rebuked for my greed and for my unthankful heart, and I have to repent and bless God for this provision. In the case of Isaac, he did not have to do anything to reap hostility and envy from the Philistines. He just had to be wealthy, just to be something. Hostile towards Isaac. Two ways. Number one, verse 15, they stopped up the wells Abraham had dug, filling them with earth. Whatever the number of Isaac's livestock heard, it needed large amounts of water to survive. Wells were hand dug in these days, and they required a lot of manpower. Abraham had a lot of manpower, you know. He had hundreds, hundreds of servants, over 300. So well digging did not pose too great an issue. What did cause an issue was that the Philistines' reaction to Isaac's wealth, they were jealous of him, also fearful of him, didn't like the fact of his escalating wealth. That scared them. You know, people are fearful of powerful men. Lest they use that power for evil instead of for good. Now, they didn't have any basis to say that about him, but they feared him just the same. The psalmist describes the wealthy in wicked terms. He says, I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the themselves with violence. From their callous hearts comes iniquity. The evil conceits of their minds know no limits. They scoff and speak with malice. In their arrogance, they threaten oppression. Their mouths lay claim to heaven, and their tongues take possession of the earth. Therefore, their people What do they do? Well, they became evil. 
became evil in their ways by trying to force Isaac to abandon his homestead in Gerar. And they did this by filling the wells Abraham had dug with dirt. Neither Isaac nor his livestock could survive without water. Not only did they do this with the wells of Abraham that he had dug, but every time Isaac sought to provide himself New wells. Look at what happened. Verse 19, verse 20. Isaac's servants dug in the valley. That's El Kerah, verse 17. And they discovered a well of fresh water there. But the herdsmen of Gerar quarreled with Isaac's herdsmen and said, The water is ours. So he named the well Essek, meaning dispute, because they disputed with him. Then they dug another well, but they quarreled over that one. Native Philistines began a not so subtle campaign of intrigue in which even when Isaac complied and moved from one location to another and dug new wells, they could not be disputed as a result of his own labor. The locals argued with First evidence of hostility. The Philistine herdsmen tried intimidation by plugging Isaac's water source with dirt, forcing him to keep moving on. Get out of here. You don't want it. You're not welcome. Secondly, the Philistines expressed their hostility towards Isaac through King politics being what they are, pressure of the people and their petty little game of plugging Isaac's wells was not having the desired effect, so the king got involved. And Abimelech did not mince words. Look at verse 16. He summoned Isaac and said to him, Move away from us. You have become too powerful for us. Wow. Talk about laying your cards on the table. Abimelech put his finger on the sore spot among his people. The nasty things that they had been doing to force Isaac to leave their country was because they considered him to be too powerful. he turns on us, we will not be able to thwart his advances. This tells us, does it not, that Isaac's blessing from the Lord, verse 12, had more to do than just with crops and livestock. Likely his servants outnumbered the local nationals. Abraham's servants 
kings who came against Solomon. And the cities of the plain, which resulted in the capture of Lot, Genesis 14, which we studied. So I have promised Isaac, verse 3, I will be with you and bless you, for to you and your descendants I will give all these lands. What lands? Well, Isaac was in the country of Gerar. The land of the Philistines, verse 9. Where God told him to stay, verse 3. God's promised you all these lands. So there was a physical attempt to pressure Isaac to move on. And there was a Physical was the plugging of the wells needed to survive. The political attempt was the pressure of King Abimelech as he brought to bear upon Isaac move away from us. What did Isaac do? Multiple times. The first two resolving in the wells that he dug with disputes and opposition by Abimelech's herdsmen. But there came a day, verse 22, he moved, this is the third time he's moved, he moved on from there and dug another well and no one quarreled over it. So there was a well not worth three. He named it Rehoboth, saying, Now the Lord has given me, excuse me, given us room. There he went to Beersheba. That night the Lord appeared to him and said, I am the God of your father Abraham. Do not be afraid, nor for I am with you. I will bless you, and I will increase the number of your descendants for the sake of my servant. At that location, Isaac built an altar. Verse 25. He called on the name of the Lord. There he pitched his were hostile to me, and you sent me away. I think that's a legitimate question, don't you? Here comes a demon. He's got two officials with him. And Isaac's trying to piece it together in his mind. Well, you're coming to us to have a chit-chat with me? Didn't you send me away? Weren't you hostile towards me? Why? Why have you come to us? Here's what the saw clearly that the Lord was with him. So we say, there ought to be a sworn agreement between us, between us and you. Let's make a treaty with you that you will do us no harm, just as we did not molest you, but always treated you well and sent you away in peace. And now you are blessed by the Lord.
Day Isaac's servants came and told him about the well they had dug, verse 25. They said, We found water. She called it Shiva to this day. The name of the town has been Beer Shiva. Beer Shiva. Jesus taught, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the sons of God. Matthew 5, verse 25. Peace is something we're all encouraged to pray for. David put it this way, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May those who love you be secure. May there be peace within your walls and security within your citadels. For the sake of my brothers and friends, I will say, Lord our God, I will seek your prosperity. Psalm 122, verse 6. Paul, writing to the church of Rome, wrote this The kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and approved by men. Let us therefore make every effort to leads to peace and to mutual edification. Romans 14, verse 17. The Apostle also reminds us that peace requires serious effort on our part. There's nothing automatic about it. It says, but the fruit of the Spirit Full of mercy, good fruit, impartial, sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. James 1, verse 17. Now, what do we learn from here? Well, number one, the acquisition of wealth is a gift from. Business savvy, he's even written a book about it. His expertise in negotiating 
profitable deals. His attention to detail when it comes to the market and so forth. He admits declaring bankruptcy several times. But here again, he applauds himself for finding a way to snap back and to recover. Resulting in his yield being a hundredfold, verse 12. Wow. Talk about a cash crop. Wouldn't like to plant one tomato plant and end up with a hundred plants? <laughs> Probably not because they do all the work on them. There's an ad on TV where there was some time ago promoting good health, and it said something like this. What if you could do? What about his livestock? Verse 14 states, he said he had so many flocks and herds and servants that the Philistines envied him. Verse 13, the man became rich and his wealth continued to grow until he became very wealthy. Okay, well, what's your point? My point is that Solomon himself, a man who had stockpiles of gold and silver, God gives any man wealth and possessions and enables him to enjoy them, to accept his lot and be happy in his work. This is a gift of God. That's the point. Let me read on. He seldom reflects on the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with
Moses put it this way. Remember the Lord your God. It is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. And so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your forefathers, as it is today. We were in the name of the You know, these are sweeping statements. They are not saying, God just does Godliness with contentment is great gain. Though we brought nothing into this world, we cannot take anything out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Verse number six. Verse six. But are we content with that? Secondly, being wealthy brings a whole Proverbs 23, verse 5. Cast but a glance at riches, and they're gone. For they will surely sprout wings and fly off to the sky like an eagle. Proverbs 23, verse 5. Here today, gone tomorrow. Very simple. Well, I didn't think about it. Well, you need to think about it. That's how volatile wealth is. He goes on. I've seen a green receivable under the sun. Wealthy ordered to the harm of their owner. Wealth, wealth ordered to the harm of its owner. Or wealth lost through some misfortune. So that when he has a son, there's nothing left for him. Naked a man came from his mother's womb. And as he comes, so he departs. He takes nothing from his labor that he can carry in his is a grievous evil. But the man comes, so he departs. And what does he gain? Since he toils for the wind. All his days he eats in darkness with great frustration, affliction, and anguish. Ecclesiastes 5, verse 13. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Matthew 6, verse 24. What you have, what people know, or see that you have, paints a target on your back as those
puts it this way in the scripture. Now listen you rich people. Weep and wail because of the misery that's going to come upon you. Your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Look, the wages you failed to pay the workmen who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourself in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered innocent men who were not opposing you. James Bobby, the first six And Jesus put it this way. What good You're a person that needs God. Okay. Lord bless you. But I don't need God. I don't need that religious. Jesus even called an account of a rich man who poured out his wealth. Well, he was a reason once. But he stored up even more produce. Sitting in his rocking chair. 
Surely the wicked envy the prosperity of the righteous. They seek to bring us down, but God limits their success. Isaac and Abraham before him were very wealthy men. But as indicated, their wealth had nothing to do with exceptional business savvy in which they outthought and outbid their contemporaries. No. Verse 2, excuse me, verse 12, tells us that Isaac's fortunes <coughs> was because the Lord blessed him. Blessing is one thing, but boy, superabundance is another. And Isaac had superabundance. Look at verse 14. He had so many flocks and herds and servants that the Maybe your blessings as a believer are not in the material realm. Your blessings could be in good health or a loving and caring family or peace with your work environment, a happy home, obedient children. world looks on, nonetheless, and when they see in you what they lack in themselves. The envy bug will bite them. And that bug carries a venom that courses through their psyche and breeds all kinds of evil to bring you out of your own neighborhood. If you were wicked like them, it would go a lot easier for you. But when they witness you building your altar to the Lord and worshiping Him and being willing to live in a tent, verse 25, when they see no retaliation on your part, no vendetta, no get-even philosophy, taught us to live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. 1 Peter 2 verse 12. And that's the next point. People of the world can see when God blesses you. And they will sometimes Verse 26 tells us that Abimelech traveled from Gerar to Beersheba to meet with Isaac, who obviously was a bit puzzled, and he asked, Why have you come to meet me since you were hostile to me and sent me away? He didn't want to have anything to do with me. 
true assessment of what happened. Isaac had not left Gerar on good terms. The Philistines were plugging his wells with dirt. They were jealous of his prosperity. And eventually Abimelech, as king, told Isaac that he would have to pack up his bags and get out of here. Does it amaze you that a person of the world can recognize God working in your life and is willing to acknowledge that? That anyone would attribute your prosperity to God when they have no saving knowledge of God is utterly amazing. But they see this. Such insights are ability to see and appreciate some of the workings of God, even if, even if, as yet, there's no saving grace as part of their life. I mean, if they're just honest, and people can be honest with what they see. God, we've been watching you, and your God seems to be blessing you. Mark's Gospel gives the account of a man asked Jesus to tell him which of all the commandments was the most important. And here's Jesus' response. The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. And the response came back. Well, said, teacher, well said. You're right in saying that God is one, there's no other but Him, and to love Him with all your heart, and with all your understanding, with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. 
last part in there? Did Jesus say that last part? Jesus saw that he had answered wisely. He said, You are not worthy to So you're witnessing the gospel short. The answer to people's questions might seem a waste of time to you, or too elementary, or even be a lot marriage. But you do not know what God has been doing. And then the inquirers. Abimelech had been watching Isaac, and what he saw convinced him he needed to. Grace may lead to saving grace. If you're, quick to, if you're quick to capitalize on the moment and not ignore the genuine spiritual observations that unbelievers witness in your life. You can put it this way. Even if you should suffer for what is right, you're blessed. Do not fear what they fear. as Lord and always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness. Do this with respect. First Peter. First Peter. Even when we're just talking about the common great influences that God This is true, and this is true. There's no need for this. So I must lead to that. How come this is going on in that person's life? I don't see that in my life. They start scratching their head, trying to figure it out. Grace is a strength to me. Common grace is what the Holy Spirit does. I had a relative in my family. 
Yes. Holy Spirit will give you what to say and mean. And I thought of the apostles and the way to follow before the magistrates, when you took the tongues, before the Caesars and the governors and the involved people in the words to say.
Our closing game is from the Brown Hill, number 106. We're going to take a 10 minute break and then regather.
All of our musicians.